Hello everyone, how are you? Hope all is well. This is Perry Rizopoulos. Welcome back to another episode of Shot of Philosophy. And I'm actually recording this one right after recording the one where I talk about a handbook for new Stoics by Massimo Pugliucci and Gregory Lopez, because I'm inspired to think a little bit more about this idea of eudaimonia and how we have sort of, at least in the philosophy world to some extent with these translations, misconstrued and misunderstood points raised by, let's say, Aristotle, among others, about what this idea is, right? It's often confused for our modern idea of happiness. Even as I'm reading the translation I'm going to share for the first quote of this episode, the word happiness is used, not the word eudaimonia. And then the word happiness is not explained, right? So when we read this, I think we read and hear, understand, and feel one thing, when we should maybe be feeling another. So I want to provide the quote. We're going to do some analysis of it and hopefully offer some good questions and suggestions. So let's jump into it, right? So this is from Nicomachean Ethics, which the reason why I think I'm recording this right after that last episode about the power of shifting perspectives, using the word you, using your own name to write to yourself, to think about yourself, to speak with yourself, to think with and write with yourself, is because the title of this of this book is interesting to me. So Nicomachean Ethics, and I've done a little extra research on this, right? Um, so Aristotle's son was named Nicomachus, but so was his father, according to the source I just found, right? So it was, you know, was and still is very common in Greek culture to name children after grandparents. So whether or not this book was inspired by Aristotle's father or inspired by his son, or if maybe this is my perspective, I like to adopt this perspective. I think it makes it optimally meaningful. I like to think he either wrote this for his son, like maybe it was a collection of advice he had given him and or a collection of advice he wanted to leave behind for him. But either way, it's definitely named for someone in his family, which I think is also interesting because maybe it was advice that he kind of uh, received from his father or grandfather. Then being Aristotle, he was able to elaborate on it in this beautiful way, this profoundly philosophical way. I like, or again, my preferred interpretation of the title is that he's writing it for his son. And this might have been things that he said to his son. Um and I think one of the powers, of course, you know, writing and books, these are all technologies, right? One of the greatest powers of the technology of the book is that you do leave it behind, right? To an extent, I, I think a book, you know, creates something that could be eternal, right? When you think about how old Nicomachean Ethics is, there's a chance we just keep publishing it. There's a chance we just keep printing it. That's one of the things among many others, of course like really fascinates me about these ancient texts, right? When you read the Enchiridion, when you read Marcus Aurelius' Meditations, Plato's Dialogues, these things have existed for thousands of years, right? So th there's a lot of questions we could raise about that from the practical to like, how do they, like, how did that happen, right? Pierre Hadot does a great job of this in his book, The Inner Citadel. He's like, how do we literally have the meditations? Literally, like who were the people that wrote it down and put it in a library or somewhere else and like kept it? Then, of course, the, the broader or more philosophical questions are like, why do we still bother reading these things? You know, it's been great to hear and read some reflections from people listening to the podcast. Like, and thank you so much, right? Why does it still connect to us? Why does it still help us? It's very interesting. 
So that being said, I love the idea of Nicomachean ethics being this old text of a father talking to his son, trying to give him advice, and then leaving something behind for him that he could return to. Right? That's even an exercise in and of itself. If you have people in your life, I was I was very fortunate that I sort of did this with a couple of my grandparents. I think on my last episode of the podcast, I even made a reference to my grandmother, who thank God is still alive, right? Like collect that stuff, write it down. There's wisdom everywhere, right? There's wisdom in your family, write it down, keep it for future generations, write it in a book, keep the book, take care of it. The same way, again, people took care of meditations, right? It's all worthwhile stuff. So that being said, let's move into a little bit of a conversation about eudaimonia. Right. So that was my connection to the last episode. I just love that perspective. And also one more point on this. Sometimes we have to talk to ourselves like we are our own parents. Right. One of the great sort of psychological or psychotherapeutic ideas I encounter frequently is like we all have shit from our childhood. Right. We all have stuff from our childhood that wasn't perfect, let's say. Um, to put it in a nice way, right? It wasn't perfect. All right, well, we have to heal ourselves. Well, a part of that is kind of like we have to talk to our, like, you know, to our kid. And that's still in us. We have to talk to our eight-year-old self that isn't uh, that isn't moving on, right? We have to talk to our 15-year-old self that is speaking with the 30-year-old. And the 30-year-old has to be like, look, 15-year-old, here's what we're going to do, all right? We should do that with kindness, but we have to analyze ourselves. So we get a lot out of just the title of this book, in my opinion, a different perspective, conversations about how we might collect wisdom. It's a great title. So that being said, I'm, and I'm sorry for that little intro there, if it was a little long, let's get into the quote, right? So for Aristotle, he's telling us that the account of happiness, as we've said it, is a certain kind of activity of the soul in accordance with virtue and of the other goods some are necessary conditions of happiness and others are naturally helpful and serve as useful means to it. So as I said, the word happiness, we have to replace it with eudaimonia. That's a bad translation. So before we even get into what I think is the main part of this podcast episode today, let's try to define eudaimonia, which is really a part of the task that Aristotle is doing in Nicomachean ethics. And we will for sure return to this text. Um, and we'll even get to that a little bit today, I think, with this episode. But there's a great video by the School of Life, which I recommend you look at, um, about eudaimonia. If you go on YouTube and you type in the School of Life, eudaimonia, it'll come up, right? And they even reference Aristotle among, I think, one other philosopher, like Plato, and the ancient Greeks in general who took this idea very seriously. So what the video basically outlines is that happiness is not sufficient. Our word happiness, our understanding of happiness is not enough, right? Eudaimonia more connects to this idea of fulfillment, which creates more space for what I would sort of characterize as the fullness of life, right? Happiness doesn't include pain, suffering, patience, all these other things that are naturally a part of life that we need to deal with, that we need to cultivate in order to pursue what is the better idea, which is eudaimonia or the sense of fulfillment, right? Eudaimonia makes room for these other things, right? And there's a great quote from the video. I'll, I'll share it with you now. It's, um, we have projects in life, right? And these projects basically are worthwhile for us, but they're not always going to be full of happiness, 
But if we're pursuing fulfillment, we understand that's a part of these projects in life. Right? We're able to deal with those things. We're able to, as a result of that understanding, not get mad at ourselves for suffering, not get mad at ourselves for being anxious. We see that as a part of the fulfillment, whereas happiness is it's it's too it's too small, right? Is ultimately one of the points here. It's not what we should be primarily striving for, right? We want to, for the video, do justice to our full human potential. In order to do that, right? That's what fulfillment is: pursuing that potential, understanding that potential involves not only happiness, but it involves, as I said, patience, anxiety, fear, discipline, taking risks. To expect that our days will be populated by just a constant stream of smiling and laughter, I mean, it's not realistic. And that's significant. Once again, eudaimonia makes room. So it's fulfillment. It's about doing justice to our potential as we understand it. And I also think one other point the video raises that's really important is as a result of pursuing eudaimonia or as a part of that pursuit, we're trying to leave the world better as a result of our presence, right? It's about contributing to the species in a significant and meaningful way. That is what, you know, that is one idea among the others I mentioned that I think is at the heart of eudaimonia, right? So it's leaving happiness aside as the main thing that we strive for, keeping it around. Again, it's not horrible. It's insufficient though. It will not have us or have an impact on us that is significant enough to lead a healthy life. Eudaimonia is much healthier because of its fullness than happiness is as a main aim, right? And for Aristotle, I mentioned this idea of the main aim because for him in Nicomachean Ethics, especially in the early books, right, he's talking about how eudaimonia is the only final and self-sufficient end. And of course, as I said, all these translations are using the word happiness which doesn't hit the mark, which is ironic, right? He's talking a lot about the importance of aims and the translations of his work are messing up the aim, right? He's saying in these books that the final and self-sufficient end of everything we do, at least in terms of how we understand it, and we could be incorrect, that's where philosophy comes in, right? Which is to say, we think, if we take action deliberately, if we take action as a result of our own choice, right? We think it will lead to this sense of fulfillment, this sense of eudaimonia, this justification of our potential, this actualization, let's even say, of our potential, right? The justice we do, again, in pursuit of our full human potential. To say to do justice implies, to again, to actualize, to make it real. We think we can do this thing. We think we could be this person. We had to take actions and direct our thinking towards that goal. And in so doing, we get the sense of fulfillment. Everything we do deliberately for Aristotle is aimed at eudaimonia. Again, it is final, it is self-sufficient. You do not pursue this idea of fulfillment, this idea of contributing positively to the world for any other reason, right? And the second part of the quote speaks to that. The idea that other goods are necessary conditions for this eudaimonia, while others are naturally helpful, but not necessary right? Money is a great example he raises in Nicomachean Ethics. And I think this is such good advice for a kid, right? Or for a teenager or someone who's about to embark on a career, right? Money for Aristotle isn't a bad thing necessarily, but it's not the thing. It's a means to an end. It's not the end in and of itself. Eudaimonia, again, is the only end in and of itself. 
you do not pursue fulfillment so you can be wealthy. That wouldn't make sense for Aristotle. And I, I would agree with that. Wealth, I would say, is definitely helpful. Let's call it what it is. Let's not sit here and act like money doesn't matter. That's not true, right? It's at least helpful, I would say. And I, I would imagine Aristotle would agree with that. But if we obsess over money and we think it's the final end, we become compulsive, which is a word he uses, right? We become compulsive and we just chase it and we'll never reach fulfillment. So it's not about getting rid of money. It's not about getting rid of happiness. It's about ordering them properly and about seeing eudaimonia as the main thing, right? So maybe we have to restructure our priorities. Maybe this idea of fulfillment, this idea of doing justice to who we could be, even sitting with that idea, right? Question, who could I be? And then building that out, right? Not just saying, again, a status in society. That's a secondary concern. Think about the virtues. Right For Aristotle, the virtue was balance, the space between too much and too little. That was the main guide, right? So asking maybe, right, how could it be more balanced? All the virtues live in that space. Patience is balance. Confidence is balance. Justice is balance. So think about the self you'd like to become. Craft that image. And I think you'll find that when you move towards that, life becomes more fulfilling. You have these powerful moments Emotionally, I would even say, spiritually. Now, let's get to that point for a second, because I think the most interesting part of this quote is the idea, four words, activity of the soul. So what does that mean? Well, I like to connect that to attention, that great Simone Veil quote that's totally changing the way I live my daily life in a literal sense. I know I've mentioned this. I now organize my tasks in large part, not entirely, but a lot of my day, I'm putting 15 minutes on my phone and I'm letting that clock run and I'm focusing on one task with some music on. Now, if I aim that task at my eudaimonia or that series of tasks in that day, right? If I say, here's who I should become, maybe, and again, we'll start with the more tangible stuff. I should be someone who finishes their doctorate, right? Okay. If I spend focused attention 15 minutes at a time towards that aim, I feel good. And this is me speaking literally. It makes me feel good to do that. I should be good at my new job. All right, well, how do I do that? 15 minutes at a time. And at every 16th minute, 16th minute, if I'm not, or if I'm not still in the zone, I'm still going. A lot of times I am, which feels good. I can stop and say, okay, I just did a thing that connects to my eudaimonia. Now, I also think Simone Vale and her piece um, waiting for God, which is where that section of the a quarter of an hour of time is better than a great many works comes from. That's where that quote comes from. She's talking about the spiritual richness and, and the spiritual power of just offering our attention. We start by the physical elimination of physical distractions, right? Getting the phones away, trying to find a space maybe, or a strategy that helps us focus, I think. And I'm, by the way, still learning about this. This is, this is a very new idea for me to an extent, right? In the ancient world, I was familiar with this idea when I came to the Simone Vale. They have the notion of prosike, which is paying attention, right? To what exactly? Well, ultimately, prosike is aimed at self-mastery. So it's you learning to pay attention to yourself, to your soul, right? And just for a second here, because I'm using that word soul, which is kind of a big word, I would say. 
um, let's define the soul, which is, I should have done that already on this podcast. Give me one second here. This question of what is the soul? We're going to look at a quick reading from James Cooper. And we'll keep it simple, right? The soul is that which we live our active lives, our assessments of value, our decisions, our desires, our choices. All these depend essentially and directly upon the soul. So think about that. Your decisions, that's major. Your desires, your choices, your assessment of value sort of means, in my perspective, the way you perceive things and how you judge them and the way in which you see whether or not something is valuable or not. All this, all this definition or every aspect of it connects to how we pursue eudaimonia. So I'm throwing a lot out during the last two minutes of this podcast, and I'm going to wrap it up soon. We will return to all these ideas, right? But what I want to call our attention to primarily is how do we order what we strive for, right? How could we be, again, like a parent to ourselves, a guide to ourselves? In the words of Epictetus, how do we be our own soul's doctor? Well, let's pursue eudaimonia. Let's forget a little bit about happiness. Let's think about fulfillment. Let's think about crafting an image of who we should become spiritually. First, right? Again, be more patient. Let's even say, just for argument's sake too, working with the Simone Veil thing, how can we be more attentive to ourselves and to our eudaimonia? Which is to say, once again, how do we be more attentive to fulfilling this important idea of doing justice to ourselves? And I would say, once again, with her, start 15 minutes at a time. And I could... You know, I could say with some confidence because it's worked for me and it's worked for others that I've introduced this to. When you get on this path, you might find that you are less anxious, less stressed. You might ironically find that you are happier. We're really talking in this episode, I think, hopefully in a way that's clear. I'm not sure if I'm ranting here um, about how to construct a daily life. Because we're talking about both how to organize time and also some ideas that encourage us to organize it in that way. So I hope this was helpful. Thank you for listening, and I'll talk to you soon.